All right, so, uh, hey, I wanted to thank the church. Um, we uh, got a lot of good questions from you. Um, I, even, I even had some uh, hitting me this morning as I was typing up the question sheet. And so, listen, I'm going to start off with a question that's for everybody, so you can just kind of start with Paul and work your way down. Uh, but we've got Paul Seeger here. You're going to hear from him in the second hour this morning, uh, missions consultant with Biblical Ministries Worldwide, right, and formerly the director of Biblical Ministries Worldwide. And we have Doug Combs. You heard from him last night with Advance uh, uh, Ministry of Biblical Ministries Worldwide. And then uh, Matt and Stephanie Van Gordon at Heartland Community Center Church. Heartland Center Community Church. There we go. Uh, up there in Northern Ohio. And uh, so you heard from Matt and Stephanie on Friday night. And uh, so the first question here is for everybody. And then uh, pretty much for the rest of the time, I'm just going to kind of go go in this order. I'm going to have a question for Paul, and then Doug, and then Matt and Stephanie, and uh, and then after the person's finished answering the question, like if if something's really oh I want to add to that, then you can just hey you know ask for the microphone and we'll get it to you. Okay, all right. So here here's a question for everybody. Uh, talk about maybe what what you see maybe even over the past year or two. Uh, with the onset of the pandemic and just things going on nationally, globally, uh, what would you say has been the greatest challenge in your work and uh, greatest victory? I led a organization that helps get missionaries to the field. We serve churches like this one. In fact, a number of your missionaries are with biblical ministries. Uh, the frustration and the blessing are really one and the same. The COVID has kept us out of places and put us into places. And so at a time where we've got missionaries stuck here in the States, just can't get back to the country where they serve, that's frustrating to them. But in spite of COVID, we still got a number of missionaries arriving on the field for the very first time this year or last year in spite of COVID. So that was an incredible blessing. So both, uh, both getting in and staying out were either a frustration or a blessing. Part of this challenge, part of the greatest challenge is to not be able to go and uh, be with the church leaders in these various kind of relationships of integrity with the church leaders. And you do that by continually going back. You know, if there's going to be a problem, it's going to show up. It might not show up the first time you're there. It'll show up the third or fourth or fifth time. And so, you know, that's really just a significant part of the ministry to build relationships of integrity. And it's been a little difficult just to sit back and and go on, but that has also led to the reality that uh, the network that has been built is functioning. And even though I was not going, work was going on. Uh, the numbers of believer, new believers were not as high, yet there was numbers of new believers. And the other thing that really, one of the victories I would guess, uh, I was handed uh, humanitarian funds because uh, the difficulties, you know, going on in this country, those difficulties were in even larger in some of these other countries. And so uh, we were able to, and because we have a network of trusted people uh, handed uh, humanitarian funds to distribute, and as we distributed those funds, uh, said to the, uh, to the church leaders, uh, don't just give this to the church people, please do that, but also use this as an evangelistic opportunity. And a number of people have come to Christ as a result of having those humanitarian funds given to them. The report after report came back. Nobody helped us until you came. And that really had a real beneficial and 
life-changing opportunity in many people's lives. You know, being in the United States and our ministry being here, you know, we, we faced probably some of the similar challenges that Delaware Bible Church faced. Uh, I think probably the biggest difference was usually at the small church, um, we are it. So I am the youth pastor and the senior pastor and the music leader, and Stephanie is, she, you know, she's basically the church administrator and, and does all those things. Uh, so, you know, um, really what came to my mind is so many things that were positive that as we look back over this last year in particular, you know, in, in March of last year, I mean, things were really, we had been there for a year only as a church. And, uh, and so things were starting to really pick up and we were moving forward with a lot of things and then everything on March 15th just stopped. In fact, uh, you know, uh, I, I remember doing the, I, give, I gave Dr. Matt Hintz a call and said, okay, what's up with the virus how concerned should we be about this? I'm, I'm not sure. Can you give me some feedback to, to try to help my guys understand, right, should we do this, not do this, uh, shut down, all those things. So um, that's probably looking back, though, you know, on that, uh, that's been the, was the biggest challenge. And I think that was the biggest challenge in Village Missions uh, for the small church, um, because usually as churches, we're not as up to date with some of the technologies and all those things. And, and so in and, and our church, when we first got there, I mean, uh, they were living really still in the mid-20th century still uh, and how they were doing some of their ministry stuff just because they didn't have anybody to help them move it up. And so we started doing those things, but that, you know, the coronavirus helped us to uh, really amp up things. And, uh, and Stephanie has become basically the technician for the church and the AV person, and doing all that stuff, and uh, and so uh, that was probably the, some of the biggest challenges. And then keeping everybody connected, and through you know uh, not just the you know doing messages and things online, but uh, keeping in, in check. And uh, so, um, in, in some ways, as I look at, there's so many positives that <laughs> the coronavirus helped me as a pastor be able to say, uh, we need to do some of these things that I had planned for the future now. Uh, so we developed uh, called Deacon Care Groups, and uh, we, we started uh, divided up the congregation among the, the, the leadership, and, and so they had families that they were calling in addition to me and calling them and, and doing those type of things. And then for outreach, you know, uh, we had some really summer outreaches planned uh, last summer, and that just shut down. Uh, and so we had to re, you know, readjust. And as we shared, we were able to uh, you know, go reach a whole village for, with the gospel and, and, and start connecting with them through this. So, um, yeah, I see a lot more positive, even though you know, there are some of the things I look back. I'm like, man, I wish that could have kept going at that point. But uh, the Lord is in control of all that. And he had uh, something, a different direction for us to go. And something I've grown to learn in ministry is you have to be firmly flexible. Uh, you have to have a plan and, and pray, but you have to be flexible and allow the Lord to be able to say, no, that's not the direction I want you to go right now. Stephanie, do you have anything to add to that from your perspective? I mean, not really, but when everything shut down and all of a sudden our dining room had to turn into um, a recording studio, my YouTube watching habit finally came in handy. So that was helpful. I knew kind of what to do. <laughs> all right, so uh, I've got a question here for Paul. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a layered one. And there's a couple doozies in here too, so be ready for that. Um, Paul, uh, for, just from, from your perspective and experience, can you 
Um, I'll just go with the first part and then I'll give you the second part here in a minute. Call to missions. How does one know? I think uh, this church is probably in the same um, theological genre that we are, that we're, we're cessationists. We don't expect to hear the voices of God and continuing revelation. So we're not looking for a voice or a particular sign, but we've simply defined the call as something, a burden that you just can't get away from. And obviously that is God working in your heart and life. Uh, but we place a great importance not on a physical voice or sign, but rather faithfulness in the local church and the local church identifying that uh, God has his hand on you in a very special way and that the church is willing to send you. So it's a combination of both the burden that comes from within because being a missionary is not normal. I mean, nobody in their normal mind would want to be a missionary, but uh, it has to be God doing something in your heart and life. But then you need the local church to affirm that and say, yes, we see God working in your heart and life, and we want to send you. <clears throat> and then is it a, um, is it a, would you say it's a, you know, a lifelong endeavor? I mean, I guess ideally or typically, is it a lifelong endeavor? Do you, or do you like age out? Like in some ministries, you, you, know, you kind of put in so many, so, so much time, and then you kind of move on to something else? Um, or, or could someone become a missionary later in life? So what do you think about you know, kind of the trajectory or time frame of commitment? How do you see that working? There's been quite a change in this over the last uh, number of decades. My parents were missionaries in Nigeria, and that generation that went were lifers. I mean, they just joined, and they were not going to do anything else. They didn't prepare for retirement because they anticipated dying on the field. They expected the Lord come back, so they were living in that kind of a mindset. They went there for life. That was it. And over the years, we've kind of shifted so that the actual trend now in evangelical mission agencies is many people only last for one term, and, uh, and, and they don't return. Uh, we, we sometimes joke, but if we're serious about it, that your first goal or your major goal in your first term is to make it to the second one. Because if you're, going to, if you're going to really reach a people, you've got to know the language and the culture, and it's going to take you the first term to get that under your belt. So if you stop at the end of your first term, you've really just gotten started and your most effective years are yet ahead. And so that is not to say that you couldn't shift gears and God may change your direction. I served for 17 years on the mission field and God put me in, in Atlanta, Georgia. So it doesn't mean you necessarily change, uh, that you'll never change, but I think there does need to be a, a commitment to longer rather than shorter if we're going to move into new cultures and new languages. Thank you. Uh, Doug, how much of, uh, this was a question somebody, somebody gave us a few specifically for you. How much of your support goes to the national missionaries you were talking about last night? So if a church like ours brings you on like we have and starts sending monthly support, is there a certain percentage of that that you could say really is then taken to do the things you've been talking about in supporting national missionaries? We have uh, two different accounts at the mission. There is one account for Elaine and I so that we can do leadership of uh, this ministry, and they steal somewhere between 10 and 8%. <laughs> and then there is the advance account to which your money is being sent to, and one of the things that we determined, 
from the very beginning, we determined that we would take all of our expenses, everything, our flights, our uh, my flights, um, brochures, any expense would come out of combs so that we could say to folks like you, if you give to advance, 100% of what you give goes for the ministry of advance. Paul, would you like a 30-second rebuttal? to? <laughs> they do much for us. I appreciate the fact that they uh, take care of the money that comes in and, and the money that goes out. Uh, they are very, very helpful, and I appreciate the people down there. All right, that, you clean that up nicely. Good job. <laughs> All right, uh, Matt and Stephanie, you, you guys can would like to hear from you both uh, some thoughts on this. Uh, short-term mission trips, helpful, hurtful, or depends? All three. So I kind of expected that. <laughs> so, okay, so then how, how do you set one up for success for participants and the missionary? Oh, man. Well, uh... I guess I'll answer. Yes, I think it can be helpful uh, for the individual. I think, um, um, especially if we we often think about it in, in the terms of sending younger people and teens and trying to get them exposed and wanting to have their you know their hearts open to what the Lord may want them to do. Uh, the Lord certainly did that with me. You know, I, I spent two months in Papua New Guinea in college uh, with uh, new tribes with Ethos three hundred and sixty now, but. Um, uh, with New Tribes Mission, and uh, it was life-changing. It gave me a perspective I've never had before. It helped me to understand the Word of God so much uh, more, um, and I came back fired up uh, even more. So it certainly can have a great impact that way, but a lot of times um, uh, it, um, we're, we're hoping that the missions will trip will do something that, uh, you know, they'll be exposed to things and and uh, want to have uh, these experiences, but there again is no maybe spiritual root or, or in their in that person's life, um, and so the, I think the danger, the negative side is we're trying to use this as some way for this person to get on spiritual fire instead of just discipling them in the local church or dealing with them on that level. So kind of going back to what, what these men have been saying about, you know, the local church and the need there and the call to missions and those type of things. Now, I'm not, I am not against short-term missionship at all. I think there can be very beneficial. And, you know, they were beneficial to us as the Delaware Bible Church came out um, and uh, to Yampa in Colorado when we were there and helped us and reached the community and helped the church. Um, but... Yeah, I think uh, I think the the source has to be. You have to ask people why do you want to go. Um, and I say that because I had an experience when I first went to Yamp Bible Church and was doing working with a youth group. They had done a missions trip uh, the previous year with the previous pastor. They had gone to Mexico, and uh, and so they had all these teens, and they wanted to go back and do another missions trip. And, and the deacon board and I just talked and said, well, you know, with all the transitions going on, this may not be the right time to do this. With you as a new pastor, you need to get to know 
people and, and things. And so we were just leaning away toward that. But the, the teens in particular just started to just, well, where can we go? And why can't we make this happen? And, why? and I just sensed in that there was something off. And finally, one youth group, I just said, why do you guys want to go on this trip? They wanted to go to New Orleans is where they wanted to go to do this specific ministry with this specific group. And finally, I was able to get to, and it was almost unanimous to their heart. They said, we just want to go on a trip. So, well, then go on a trip, but don't try to call it missions and say you're doing work for the Lord. Just go to New Orleans as a group of people if you want to go see New Orleans. Uh, and so that really taught me, I was like, well, what's the motivation for why you want to go? And sometimes we've approached things that way where it's just a tag on and we were saying we're doing missions. And of course, you know, and so you have to look at the heart of that. Um, and why people want to do it. So yes, I think it can be positive, it can be good, um, but yeah, there, there's a danger in it as well. I don't know if you have anything you want to add? Or... The only thing I would add is that when you're looking for a partner, I'm talking to y'all as a, like a sending church for a short-term trip, is look for, <clears throat> excuse me, um, look for a partner that's just as in it as you are. So something that Doug said last night was so kind of impactful to me that they go to churches that are also in it, where the church is, is kind of starting things off and they're the ones that are kind of saying, this is what we want to do. We can only get so far. Can you help us kind of meet the rest? If you're going to a place where they're expecting you to come in and just be the work, then nothing's really gonna come of that trip. I mean, it may in y'all's hearts in terms of preparation, but if you're coming to help a church that is like, oh, yay, our saviors are here, <laughs> that's off because y'all are coming to share the savior, not to be the savior. So I would say, you know, in terms of looking for partners, look for people who are just as invested and who are actually the initiators of the work themselves. American churches spend $2 billion, with, that's with a B, $2 billion a year on short-term trips. So that's a substantive amount that we need to steward and steward well. I'm not convinced a lot of it has been spent well in the past, especially when, you know, group after group goes and paints the same wall that was painted two weeks before. Uh, our church has, to follow up on what you've said, our church that I go to in Atlanta we have a very deliberate plan that we will not send a short-term trip unless one of the missionaries we support says, I need your help to do this, that, and the other. So it's driven by the church's, by the missionary's vision and need rather than us just wanting to take a trip. And so that's really helpful to make sure that it fits with the mission and the vision of both the church, the missionaries, and we're going with a purpose, not just to take a trip. Yeah, great. Uh, Paul, while you got the mic there, um so missionary, you know, a person starts to maybe pursue that, uh, say they go through the approval process uh, with the local church and find a board or a sending agency. Um, should they be looking for individual support financially, church support, or both? Like pros, cons, either way? One of the trends in missions these days is that mission agencies like ours outsource the training for raising support to a, there's about half a dozen different ministries that help with that. And so many agencies don't do that training, they hand it over to these other organizations. Many of them, I wouldn't say most, but many of them 
right up front say, forget the local church. You're not going to raise money there. It takes too long for them to decide, so don't even bother. And so the strategy that they train missionary candidates, or appointees rather, to use is how to sit down with a business person and pitch their, their, their vision and get individual support. Uh, we are so committed in our ecclesiology not to bypass the local church that we don't do that. Now, I think there is justification, and you can prove it from Scripture, that uh, both individuals as well as churches supported missionaries. So it's not right or wrong, but our ecclesiology is so dominant in our thinking that we're saying we're not going to bypass the local church. It's the local church that sends us. The local church needs to be engaged, and we want local churches supporting us. And ultimately, for the, from the missionary side, uh, local church support is much more stable and consistent. I've had, I've had uh, the same supporting churches for 40-some years now, and they've just keep, they just keep supporting. And so there's a faithfulness, whereas individuals tend to be a little bit more volatile, and uh, things change in an individual's life. And so we really encourage people to really try to raise their support from churches. But... At the same time, they could have individuals that support them. Um, Doug, uh, you're in talking about national missionaries and pastors. Can you um, share a bit? How are they selected and trained? What we, one of the things we really emphasize with the ministry I'm involved in is that it's not my ministry; it's their ministry, and it's going to be their missionary going out to their mission field. And that's, uh, if there's going to truly be an accountability, it has to involve their money. And that is truly where the accountability comes. People who are invested in something take care of what's, what's being, what they're investing in. And so we really have, uh, have made the effort to uh, not provide the leadership in the selection process of the missionaries. Uh, you know, I oftentimes say when I come to a church like yours, you know, let me see, I've been here for now three days. I, let me pick the missionary from among you. <laughs> and uh, there's no way I could do that, could I? But if there is a missionary sitting here in this room or a potential missionary sitting in this room, it is going to be you who know who's going to be that missionary. And uh, if somebody were to stand up and say, I think I want to be a missionary, on your side, you might say, uh, sit down. <laughs> or you'll be, as a crowd, jumping up saying, we can't wait because we've been watching you, waiting for you to surrender. And so applying that principle then to overseas and giving the churches the responsibility of selecting their missionaries uh, and then supporting them and sending them. And uh, the training, likewise, is coming uh, from uh, various countries, have their own training institutions, uh, they're, or they're, they're trained and qualified uh, simply because they are members of that culture and have been in their local church. They've been discipled. So really, uh, what, uh, what we have done in advance is just simply to participate in people's training. Uh, and uh, uh, then uh, when their trained people are in their local church, they're identified as such, then to help them to send their people out. There was an opportunity in China that uh, these uh, churches might send a missionary to uh, the Tibetan monks. 
And uh, they were, they had somebody in mind, but he lived in some other city. And their idea, as uh, they were talking about it, was they were saying, you know, uh, we'll, we'll bring him to our place, we'll train him, and then we'll send him there. And I said, you, you know, you can do that. That's fine. I mean, that's, that's a strategy. You can do that. Uh, but might I suggest to you, why, why don't you go to his church in his city and see if he will be the sending church and if they will invest in him to go? I said, because if they won't send him and they won't pay for him, he is not the man you're looking for. And I think that, that uh, just putting the responsibility dead into, uh, right into their hands to make that decision and to be involved, uh, that's where the uh, real missionaries are going to come who will go out then and do the work. By giving them the accountability, uh, you know, again, give me another two hours. Uh, I, I, you know, I could tell you the stories of how they have called home missionaries for being ineffective. Their definitions of ineffective. And then replace them with missionaries who are being effective. And it's just, uh, it's that investment in people they believe in that they're qualified and they're ready to go and we're willing to make it happen. That's where he really wanted to be. All right, uh, Stephanie, we'll, we'll, we'll let you start the answer here. Um, I don't know if there were any you know, formative experiences or things that maybe parents did when you were younger, what, what, what the life story is there. But the question is, you know, what are some resources or ways parents, grandparents can go about cultivating mission-minded kids? Pick a missionary to engage with as a family is number one. Um, pray for them, have their picture up, keep up with their prayer requests and share them with your children. Um, I'm a homeschooler, so I think homeschooling. Uh, do a, like a geography mini unit on the place where they serve, learn about the culture, learn about the food and try cooking it. Um, so that would be, I guess that would be kind of number one. Number two would just be like work on a global mindset of thinking of um, one church, not this church and then the other church that's down the street and then, you know, the, you know there's our church and then there's the churches that, that Doug and Paul go to. And, you know, we are all one church. So the other thing I would, I would say is, is bring to, to mind frequently um, our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, who are not able to worship freely, who are not able to serve the Lord without fear of um, ostracism social, I can't think of the word, being ostracized socially um, or by their families, um, prison, death, you know, all that stuff. Um, we need to remember that we are one body across the world and we are divided into local pieces, but we're still only one body with one head. And so if we think in terms of the whole world as the church of the whole world, then that can help with missions mindedness too, because then we're, we're aware of um, again, as Doug said last night, the multitudes that Jesus had compassion on that we also should have compassion on. Only if you want uh, to. I would just say, you know, moms and dads, grandpa and grandmas, you need to also just live it out. Um, and so, you know, 
you you want your kids to care about missions or care about sharing the gospel, then you need to care about missions and you need to be sharing the gospel. Um, and to, to give them an example of how, how do we live. I mean, I think that's part of the point, uh, I guess I was trying to make the other night, was just the church, we, we are the gospel made visible. We are supposed to be living out the gospel. Our life is mission. You've been called into the kingdom of God, and so now live it out. And that may be just your little neighborhood. Um, it doesn't mean you have to go to another land to do this. You need to do it here. And so they need dictionaries. So, uh, Paul, something that uh, Stephanie said, great segue to the next question here, um, talking about thinking globally. Um, as you've interacted with other missionaries, had your own uh, experiences overseas, What's the main difference you've seen between American Christianity and the way you see it playing out in other countries, maybe even particularly closed ones or ones we wouldn't normally think of? It is truly humbling and sobering to visit Christians around the world. And I feel so small compared to them and the level of commitment and the persecution that they're facing. For instance, we're working in a country in Southeast Asia and when they lead someone to the Lord, their first follow-up, you know, we do discipleship, follow-up with a new believer. So the first lesson is how to die for your faith. Now, we tend to say, you know, we'll, we'll talk about assurance of salvation or maybe going to church. We wouldn't even think about training someone to die for their faith. And uh, to see the persecution level and the commitment level that exists in churches around the world and Christians is, is truly humbling. And so we don't have a corner on Christianity. There's, there's a dynamic church of Christ all over the world in which people are living first century Christianity today. And it's truly humbling to be around these guys, and we have a lot to learn from them. Thank you. Uh, Doug, um, you, you may have answered this. I think you answered this a little bit in, in the previous question, but if, if you kind of made it sound like that you know, really the selection process of missionaries with these churches sending their own is really left to them. Um, do you have a role of providing input or guidance? Like what, what window of opportunity do you have there in that process? You know, it's, it's, it's a privilege to sit with them and, and hear them discuss uh, the possibilities now that they accept the responsibility that uh, the Great Commission belongs to them. And then to just uh, now, uh, you know, hear them talk about who, who it is that they might send. And um, it's, uh, there, there have been various opportunities, like this one I just described with the, uh, in the Chinese situation. Uh, last night we talked about the one in uh, the Ugandan going up into uh, another country. Um, so I, I am given that opportunity when I'm there, and they're they're open and willing for me to share. And then, obviously, uh, in communication, as uh, we uh, email back and forth one another, uh, I have the opportunity to uh, encourage, to challenge, to coax, uh, not to demand, but to urge. Uh, one of the things just recently uh, I've been working on is uh, this uh, the whole idea that uh, uh, three countries uh, have three missionary efforts going in various things, but some of those missionary efforts are going into the same places. Why not connect together and work together? 
or uh, one, one fellow has this incredible strategy where he deals with people who are illiterate, uh, to whom a Bible is a paperweight. How do you deal with illiterate people? And this man has determined that he can, uh, he, has, he has prepared 180 stories of the Bible and about the Bible. And he teaches it to these people who have less in their minds than we have forced into our minds. So they memorize them and then share them in groups of 10 to 40 and people are one to Christ in, in the various, various places. You know, it's working in two different countries but why not in some other countries where uh, persecution is such that uh, to, to carry a little booklet has a Bible verse on it could cost you your life. But if it's in your head, they can't do anything about what's in your head. It's like the little boy, you know, he, he's in church and, and his mom says, sit down. He says, I'm sitting down, but in my mind, I'm standing, right? <laughs> In my mind, the scripture is there. The story is there. You cannot take it from my mind. And so it's that opportunity to, uh, to coax them, to encourage them, to counsel and say, let's talk with one another about different things that are working in different places. And I have that privilege to do so. Um, <clears throat> Matt and Stephanie, when, you know, when talking about missions work, many tend to have what I call a, a pendulum reaction to it. And either focus solely on international missions or domestic missions. Uh, our church here has attempted a balanced approach to that. Um, so for a person who might equate missions work with exclusively overseas work, can you tell us why supporting domestic missions is still necessary? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. What came to my mind is, uh, this is uh, probably at least 10 years ago, we shared another church that supports us and... Um, uh, at the missions conference, and I was had the privilege to be their keynote speaker for the whole conference, and um, and I did a lot of research at that point, you know, uh, on statistics, uh, and you know, missionaries love statistics, and uh, so I was looking at our statistics here and overseas and all those things, and and the bottom line I came down to, and I showed the statistics of, of it was, you know, for North America and, and what people believe, didn't believe, all those things. But then, I, you know, I looked and compared with the world. And the bottom line was simply this. The world needs the Lord Jesus Christ. The world. Doesn't matter if it's here or anywhere. Yes, we have much more exposure here. Absolutely. And there are countries that don't have any at all, absolutely, and we need to double our efforts to get there. Um, but the fact of the matter is just the world needs Jesus Christ. They need the gospel. Your neighbor next door to you needs the gospel. Um, and uh, just because they, well, you know, and I think that's part of the mindset, well, they, they could listen to the radio or they could, you know, they, there's tons of churches here, but that's not normally how... The Lord works. The Lord works through people. People reach people. So you're there for a reason next to your neighbor. Reach out to your neighbor. Share the gospel with your neighbor. Begin to build a relationship with your neighbor. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that would be the bottom line for me is that everywhere, you know, so whether it's foreign or domestic, um, there's needs. Um, and, you know, as a village missionary who does domestic stuff, you know, uh, and missions work, um, you know, and we go to those little pockets of places that, you know, of 500 people that 
There is no church there. And that's what we try to target. We try to go to those places that don't have a gospel witness. If there's already two or three good Bible-believing churches there who are actually actively doing the work and reaching out, well, we don't need to compete with them, um, especially if it's a smaller area. We want to go to where there's needs. Um, and so I think that's part of the mindset. There needs to be a shifting of thinking of how we approach missions a lot of times. So uh, and if I can answer one one question back about uh, just the persecution uh, church. Um, my wife and I watched just a few weeks ago a fantastic movie on the persecuted church. It's called The Insanity of God. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but uh, uh, one of the things that was told in there is uh, in the persecuted church in China, their, their seminary is prison. Um, they said they won't even consider you to be able to become a pastor of their church unless you spent time in prison. Um, and because that's how serious it is. Uh, it's not whether, you know, you have, uh, you know, what your Bible skills are. Uh, it's what's, how serious are you about your faith. So I would just add, thinking domestically, um, I think it's Ken Ham, or at least I first heard it uh, from Ken Ham, uh, categorizing like two different starting points with sharing the gospel. You've got Peter in Acts 2 who's talking to Jews, and so he doesn't have to like define everything. He starts with, you crucified the Messiah, right? And then in Acts 17, when he's talking to the people in Athens who have no foundation at all, he starts with, there is a God, and he created the world. And one of the things that we have come to notice just in our communities is that we're actually more moving to an Acts 17 starting point just in the United States, where it seems like there's a church on every corner, you've got the message, radio station, you've got K-Love, you've got all this Christian stuff everywhere, and nobody is thinking about it anymore. They're so saturated that Jesus and the Easter Bunny and Jesus and Santa Claus are all the same thing, and so we celebrate Jesus' birth by shoving chocolate in our mouths. And we, sh- we celebrate Jesus' resurrection by going and looking for plastic eggs in a yard. Not that there's anything wrong with that, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that they've be- in our nation, we've become so kind of habituated to you know, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus that people forget that there is one God and he created the world and that he has a problem with sin we have a problem with sin that we can't fix. And so um, just because there's so much religious stuff here doesn't mean that everybody understands it. And so, you know, why go domestic? Because of that. Because in our nation, there are people who don't even understand the starting point. Thank you. Okay, so we're, we're rounding third here and headed home. So... Uh, we're going we're gonna to attempt this. This is always tricky with pastors and missionaries. This is going to be like rapid fire, okay? So like, you know, short burst uh, answers here to the questions. So Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, when thinking about like the optimum skill set for a missionary, would you want to identify like top two characteristics? What are you looking for? Skill set or knowledge? Skill set? Sure, yeah. Uh, if there's one, it's got to be people skills. Obviously, you can know all your theology, but if you can't relate to people, uh, you're dead in the water. Man just said to me recently, "You must love people. Don't go into missions unless you love people." What he said. 
Right. <laughs> well, that's okay because you I'm, must love people. I, I'll, I'll, we'll still, so we're going to do this. Doug, you're going to get the next one. I'm still kind of going in the order. Um, yeah, so sorry, I, I didn't articulate myself well. So Doug, this one's for you. Um, you you've, you've talked about churches that are willing to call missionaries back from the field. What would result in that happening? Like what, 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 what has occurred that would lead to a, a national missionary being pulled back? What's, what's making them ineffective according to those churches? I had an opportunity where uh, uh, I was at there and the, and the missionary or the church leader said, give me your list. Now, I don't normally carry my list, but I did. I had it. I handed it over to him. He crossed out three names and wrote three new names. And I said, okay, what's going on? He said, well, this man had family problems and we've called him home to deal with it. This young man, we thought he was ready, but he's not. And so we called him home. And this third guy we send him out, we have no idea where he is. He's gone. So we replaced him with these three men, and they're doing the work of God. Uh, this one's going to be specifically for Stephanie, if that's okay, Matt. Uh, what should the church un- understand? What do we need to understand about a missionary? See, here's the thing. Even the terminology missionary wife, you are also a missionary. So what, 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 should, what do we need to understand about that, and how can, how can we best support you. Wow. Nobody's ever asked that. Um, (laughs) Okay, you know what? I'm actually going to, sorry, I'm going to pass it to Matt and ask him what he thinks about how knowing me, and of course, you, you know my individual struggles, but just knowing the wife, looking from the outside, kind of objectively, how is how would you, as a husband, want your wife cared for? Yeah, <laughs> nice. She passed it to her head. That's nice. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I think, and these guys would probably say the same thing, especially on the field. Uh, it can be very lonely. Um, and, and, you know, Steph has that dual aspect, at least, of she's a, or we're, I'm a missionary pastor. So she's a pastor's wife. And, uh, uh, and so she has to deal with that as well. Um, and uh, there is no biblical role of a pastor's wife in Scripture. She's just my wife. But she is, you know, she is my right arm or at least my left arm uh, and uh, or both arms sometimes, and uh, my support. So she she just needs she needs to be prayed for, connected with, um, and so again, uh, as I think we said, it can be pretty lonely sometimes, um, and uh, um, just I think checking on checking on them, um, praying for them, making sure um, you know, seeing um, and reaching out to them as a very I mean it's not some big Thing that you have to do necessarily. I uh, just want you know to know that uh, somebody is constantly you know there and cares, and um, and it can be a listening ear if they need it. So um, so yeah. All right. Well, last one. This one's for everybody. So we could just start with Matt and go to Doug and end with Paul uh, as our as our time comes to a close here. What you know you know that our theme this year has been our missionary is your concern and just all the cards on the table, internal discussions, missions committee meetings, 
you know, the question's been, you know, how can we, how can we get people enthusiastic about the spreading of the gospel here and around the world? How, how can we reinvigorate their interest in missions, evangelism, what missionaries are actually doing, care enough to come on an off night, right? Not a Sunday morning service, but when we have a missionary come to give an update, everyone wants to be here to hear that. Um, so, so given that that's kind of the target of this year's conference, what's one thing you think we need to hear before this is over? I think it, it's got to start with the leadership. Y'all have to be excited about it um, and committed to engagement and bringing, just constantly bringing it before the people. Have a missionary of the week where you share prayer requests or maybe, maybe the month, I don't know. Um, but it's got to be in front of them all the time. Not saturation where you, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, but just, hey, here's what's going on or here's who we're praying for. And I would just say that. Your concern, it's, uh, they, you know, I, I saw that in the initial, you know, it's, it's our church, it's Delaware Bible Church, and we have a list of people, and we have them out there, and we're missions-minded, we, we do, we, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be a part of a missions-minded church, uh, and oftentimes that's where it's left at. Um, it, that fascinating part is that second phrase, your concern. Uh, one of the things that I've been making as an argument and, uh, is, is that uh, we ought not send people out to do something that they have never done here. You can't expect a person to go out and evangelize if he has never evangelized. Uh, and uh, I, I think you can, you can say that even about the missionaries that go out and you pray for or that you participate in, you give to. It's, you know, you, you send out people who, who have done it uh, and at the same time ought to be thinking about, you know, what is it that I am doing Another phrase that I've thrown out is that every missionary goes out to, uh, to uh, every missionary goes to someone else's Jerusalem. And it's from that Jerusalem that they're meant to reach their world. Uh, if we understand that to be the case, then you are the missionaries here in your Jerusalem. And right outside here is your world. And if you want to know what it's like to be a missionary going to someone else's world then do it as yourself here within your world. And it could be that God will call you from this place to go to some other part of the world. That's why I gave it to him, because I would say what he said. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've been encouraged, uh, I think, Village Missions and, and, and Biblical Ministries Worldwide has pretty much the same philosophy and approach to things as just doing it one's domestic and one's more foreign. And, uh, but uh, especially the, primacy, the uh, primary focus of the local church and what the local church needs to do and, and uh, having them take ownership of the Great Commission. So. One of the things I really appreciate about biblical ministries worldwide, and I don't necessarily find it, I've been involved with three different agencies. One of the things that I really have appreciated 
is that they are an agency that facilitates what my church and I believe God has called me to do. And I remember going into BMW and I said, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And they kind of looked at me like, what are you going to do? And, uh, and I thought, uh, you know, and they started offering such suggestions. And, and I, you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll keep looking. And then the next day I came in, they said to me, whatever it is that you and your local church believe you're called to do, how can we help? And frankly, he, they're doing it domestically. That's what I do when I go internationally. I go to these churches and say, how can I help? I've been given 40 minutes in the next hour to preach on this subject, so I'll hold my answer till next hour as a little bit of a teaser for you to come back. All right. Well, why don't we give them a hand for answering all these questions? <laughs>